Thank you, Esther. We uh, flew her in from England this morning to help us with the offering, and she'll fly back after the service. No, she's visiting for a while, but she is from England. Thank you. Appreciate that beautiful artistic expression. And thanks to the Guys Retreat worship team um, for leading us into the presence of Christ. Uh, I'm just so blessed to be among a people that are so gospel-centered and so Christ-centered. When I walked in here this morning, I, I love that focus because our tendency is really to, to drift into earthly thinking, worldly thinking. And it's really hard as believers to keep that kingdom mindset and to keep God's plan in focus when there's so much going on. And I just appreciate God bringing us these servants this morning to help us focus back on him. Um, before I get into our passage this morning, I just wanted to say a few words about the guys retreats, just kind of off the cuff. I Maybe during our praise and announcement time, somebody would like to say something a little more in addition to how the retreats went. I'd love to get a report, a brief report about the girls retreat. I don't know if there's anybody designated. Usually Barb Wine will volunteer somebody to share. Um, is there anybody designated? Okay, we'd love to just get a little synopsis of what happened. But I, I was at the guys retreat, so I have an idea. Um, but we were very blessed. So this these grounds turned into a retreat center this week. And um, so we had the girls retreat from last Sunday to Wednesday. And then the guys picked it up Thursday night and went till Saturday. There was a lot of ministry that took place, a lot of singing, a lot of music, um, a lot of eating that took place. A lot of fellowship. The guys retreat. I knew it was going to be an exceptional guys retreat on Thursday night when Francis Gilmore showed up with a whole platter of like chicken wing bites things with different dips. When, when that happens and it's you always have the chips and the drinks. But when that happens, you know, something special is about it. And I told Francis, I mean, this is a big platter. I said, they're going to be gone. And uh I don't know what he thought about that, but most of the guys were downstairs at the time. There was just maybe four or five of them up, up here. But when the whole group came up and they just stood and they looked at that platter and they were like. They weren't sure what, what to do with it. And I said, you can eat it. It's for you. And man, they dove in and it did not last 30 minutes. Uh, it was gone. The um, the group that we had this year were exceptional in the sense that. The, the entire group, there were 16 guys plus the, all the leaders and the staff and the helpers, so it was well over 20, um, nearly 30 if you count the cooks. But um, there was just this overall great attitude that these guys came with, whether it was just free time playing games. They were very respectful to all the speakers um, and the relay race that we had, the time of worship. Uh, they really were an inclusive group. There weren't cliques. Nobody was shunned or even if you were a newcomer. Um, the guys were just, they really exemplified the gospel and, and kindness and being welcoming. Um, and so we had a great time because everybody had a great attitude. They were exposed. We were exposed to really solid teaching and just challenged by God's word with our theme verse, Matthew sixteen twenty four. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Luke says daily. And take up his cross and follow me. So these guys were really challenged in that. And I just appreciate. And what I want you to know is um, that 
that people grew. Now, I know that as New Covenant Fellowship, you guys give in a variety of ways. You participate in the retreats. Few of us get to be here, but you participate, whether it's bringing snacks, whether it's uh, committing to pray, whether it's keeping the grounds nice and the grass cut, putting a clothesline out for uh, the towels and so forth, making sure lights are on down at the pond. There's so many things that happen behind the scenes. But I just want you to know that God really was here. His presence was here and he was speaking to people. And we had one young man that gave his life to Christ um, during our ministry time on Friday night. He came forward and he said, yes, I'd like to give my life to Christ. We never take for granted that just because you've been raised in a church that you are a true believer. We always want the gospel to go out there. And so just to encourage you that God is using these retreats to equip men and even to equip the future. So what what is the future? What might the future of the guys retreat look like? What might the future cue? That's the cue. What might the future of the guys retreat look like? Where's the. He, he said, no. Well, the future of the guys retreat. Look at this. So we had some shirts left over. This is, has the theme verse, Matthew sixteen twenty four. We had some shirts left over and Jerry said, what do we do with these? And an idea popped in my head. And that is that these guys, they keep growing, getting older, going to have more birthdays. One day are the future of our guys retreat. So thanks for participating, Chantry and Ryan and John. Thanks for not being shy and coming up here. You can have the shirts. They're a gift. They are a gift from those who paid to attend the retreat. Especially for you. Appreciate all of the participants and those that served. Uh, we always eat so well at the retreat. Thanks to the cooks and everybody. It was really hot. And those guys were down there still over, you know, the hot grease and the stove and the oven and things. So we're in Matthew chapter 24 and also 25. We won't make it to 25 this morning. But. This is known as the Olivet Discourse, this passage in the Gospel of Matthew, simply because Jesus gave this teaching when he was on the Mount of Olives. And so it's a fancy term for the Mount of Olives, um, just like the Sermon on the Mount. Where was he when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount? Well, he was on a, a mountain. And this is actually the longest answer that Jesus has ever, ever given that's recorded in Scripture in the New Testament to a question or something that the disciples brought up. He, you know, sometimes he'll answer a question with another question. And you're just coming away like, what? And this time he actually goes way beyond what was even asked by the disciples or what was commented upon by the disciples. And in this context, we won't go back and read it. We're going to start with 23. But in this context, they, this is the final week of Christ. And so he's hanging real close to Jerusalem because that's where... Redemption is going to take place very soon in the story. And this particular evening, they are leaving the city to go find a place um, to, to stay. And the disciples comment on the beauty and the grandeur of the temple. And how solid 
the structure is. And they're like, Jesus, don't, aren't you amazed at this? And it really was an amazing and is an amazing structure, not the temple today, but really the city built one side, built on the side of a mountain and stones that went into the building of this are absolutely humongous, tons and tons of weight. And they're just thinking, man, this temple is built to last. I just can't imagine that there would ever be anything that could decimate this temple. And Jesus says, well, in fact, within your generation, it will be rubble. And that got their attention. And then he goes on to give a discourse um, about what is in store for them. About what we would call the end times, eschatology, or things to come. We're always interested in what is to come. We need to be interested in what is to come. Because we, we want to prepare for what is to come. It's a good thing to be prepared for these. And so he talks about the end times. I just want to reiterate that I'm not going to take the approach that goes into this passage and really get down to the nitty gritty of what every uh, prophecy means and look at all the books of the Bible that have prophecies about the end times. I'm not going to take that approach. I think the proper way to do it would be to really dig deep. You have to dig deep. You can't let anything go. You can't have loose ends or you might miss out on the proper meaning of those things. And so there's a time for that, but it's not this time. And I also think that one of the main emphasis is on Jesus's teaching. And this will become even more clear next time we look at chapter 25 is not so much the when, the day and the hour. Matter of fact, he's going to tell us you, you don't know like, you know, but you don't know. You're going to see it coming. You're going to feel it coming, but you're just not going to be able to nail it down. So the main emphasis isn't so much on being prepared for that particular day, but being prepared every day. Uh, what do you do while you wait? What does it look like to be a people that know what's coming, but don't know exactly when it's coming, but it's coming. And so what Jesus emphasizes in this teaching, I think that stands out is he's warning his beloved people, those that have said, yes, I follow you. He's warning them about the dangers of the end times, things, false teachers to look out for persecution that's going to come. So he gives us clues so that we can be prepared and not be shocked and not be surprised or just stuck in concrete in our walk of faith. Like, I didn't see this coming. What do I do? So it's really a shepherding of hearts here in the midst of the mystery of eschatology. So that's kind of my justification. Also, um, when it comes to nailing Dates and days down, quite frankly, looking at prophecy. The church doesn't have the best history as far as getting it right. Even just a few decades after this teaching, uh, scholars believe that Paul's writing to the, the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. So help me out. My, my. Now I messed him. The Thessalonians. And they... Um, they were idle because the belief is that they're just I'm just waiting for the Lord to return. I'm not going to work today because Jesus is coming back. I don't need a paycheck. Jesus is coming back. And if you really believe that, it's true. 
You don't need a paycheck if he's coming back that soon. They were waiting for it. If you study church history, you get a little closer to our day in 1844. Um, you will become aware or informed about the Millerites. In 1844, tens of thousands of Americans followed a preacher um, whose last name was Miller, William Miller. And he taught and preached. Uh, he had figured out that the return of Christ will come on October 22nd, 1844. He preached very convincingly. And so tens of thousand followers were preparing to meet Christ. They paid off their debts the best they could. They gave away their possessions. They gave away their livestock to people in need. Uh, they freed whatever slaves that they had in that day. Gave property away. So, technically speaking, they were about as ready as you could be for the Lord's return. The problem is he did not come as predicted. And what was left was tens of thousands of, of earnest believers that were disillusioned about God and the gospel. They weren't really prepared now because they, they prepared wrongly for the future or prepared for it in the wrong way. They aren't prepared for the present. And incidentally, that group, they kind of regrouped and gathered and got their act together to some point, and, and it was the Millerites that became what we know of as Seventh-day Adventists today. Well, there's always speculation. We have it today. We have the, the strange happenings just in, in the last um, few years or decades of the supermoons, the blood moons, and there's not a lack of predictions, including within evangelicalism, lack of predictions of what this means. And it gets a lot of attention because we are interested in the end times. We want to know what signs mean. So there's predictions out there. There was a book that was written that said, uh, I predict that these series of supermoons and blood moons mean something very significant is going to happen. And then when something significant happens, then they say, see, you know, the capital in Israel moved to Tel Aviv. That's got to mean something. Well, it probably does, but we just want to be careful. And I think Jesus does a good job at helping us to be careful here about setting our hopes on things that we're not sure about. But Jesus is going to tell us, you just don't know the day. You don't know the hour, but you need to be prepared. Matter of fact, I could end right there, but I have two more sermons to preach this one and another one. But that's really it. I'm coming back and you need to be prepared and you don't know when. That's why you need to be prepared. That's it. So how, how do I stretch that out for the remainder of the time? The way that we look at the future affects us. What you think the future looks like is affecting the way you live. It's affecting the decisions that you're making today. A lack of prudence and preparation for the wrong future can ruin preparation for the right future. And that's what happened with the Millerites. So how does future thinking about, well, what's going to become of us? What's going to become of the world? How is it affecting us today? Not as Christians, just but let's just say as Americans. 
According to the National Institute on Retirement Security, two-thirds of those born between 1981 and 1996 have saved nothing for retirement. Why? Why are people not saving? They give two reasons. One is because of the recession in the early 2000s. I just don't have it to put in the bank. I don't have the money. Economically, times were tough. But there's another reason there. They're losing hope, they say. Losing hope that things will ever get better. They see a world in chaos. They see a world in decline. And they just don't see anything to invest in. Uh, They don't see a stable future. So they're not preparing for anything good. They're just kind of waiting for things to get worse. And what this plays out with uh, why get married? Why have children? People that age really, you know, I grew up with, of course I'm going to get married. Of course I'm going to have children. It's a no-brainer. And things have changed. There's a lot of different things to think about and wrestle with Breakpoint, Chuck Colson's Breakpoint says a 2018 report from the American Psychological Association found that 72% of millennials reported that their emotional well-being is affected by the inevitability of climate change. So all the talk, whether it's real or not, all the talk about global warming and climbing climate change, the doom and gloom pictures of what's going to happen, it's having an effect. The message is having an effect on the way people are looking at tomorrow, what they're doing with their money, how they're living, how are they planning for children or grandchildren, how they're setting up estates. And, you know, things require pre-planning. And a lot of that is not happening based on some of the common beliefs or the direction. So what we believe about the future affects All of us. And I think Jesus is very gracious, even though it's perplexing. He's very gracious to give us signs. He's very gracious to to not leave us totally clueless so that we're shocked out of our faith and shocked into a cult or false teaching. But to give us enough to go on, enough to know, yeah, this is serious. This is big. I need to be paying attention to these things. Very gracious of him. So that we will be properly prepared. I also think that what Jesus has done in his word is that he gives us uh, a longing for the end. So that it's scary and part of us doesn't want it to happen, especially if you're a believer because you realize, Jesus, I don't want you to come right now because there's still loved ones that If you came, they would experience the flames of hell and the gnashing of teeth and the weeping that you talk about in your word. And that's a real thing. But at the same time, there's a longing. I I mean, I know it's in you. I know it's in you. Paul talks about it in Romans 8. And he just says all of creation, that includes us, but all of creation, there's like this sigh of pain. There's just groaning and moaning. And what's it about? It, it, It just is longing for redemption. There's this feeling that things are out of order. They're, they're, they're right, but not quite right. And there's this, this longing in us for it to be made right. This longing 
for Christ to come. And we know that he's the hero and he's the redeemer and he's the one that will come. He's the one that has the power and the ability to put everything that's askew right back in order. And then for us to be the best version of ourselves that we were intended to be. We don't know what that's like yet. To be the best version of ourselves, that's glorification. So I think there's a longing in us. We know there's things that just aren't right. So come, Lord Jesus, come, the last book of the Bible says. There's a longing, and that's a good thing, and it's a healthy thing. We never want to be content. If we're content with what we have in this world and this brokenness, ah, our eyes are just too dimmed. So we have this longing here. Now let's go ahead and read our scripture, and I want to point out two more things in chapter 24. It is quite a few, but we're going to read God's word in its entirety, beginning in verse 23. So then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And immediately after the tribulation of these days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer's near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. 
Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on the day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, you kind of, when you read it, you see what really stands out here. Repeatedly, he says, you just don't know. You know, but you don't know if you're a believer. So we see some more of the same things, warnings about false teachers. So in the end times, there's going to be very alluring messages. And groups of people will follow it. There will be temptations to, to get caught up in that instead of staying focused on the truth of God's word. False prophecies, even signs that will draw us away from Christ instead of drawing us to Christ. So there's a lot of the same, but there's something different in here. And that is that there's a transition that takes place. We're talking about the things that will take place in their generation and Jesus kind of drifts into things that will also take place the day he actually is coming back. So he's not coming back yet. These are the things that will take place. The persecution, the temple, we talked about that last week, will be destroyed. And they're, they're going to suffer for their faith. All of And earthquakes will come. All of these things did happen. They're recorded historically. But he ventures into what's it going to be like the day when Christ actually comes. And it will be very similar. There will be persecution. There will be lots of options of false teaching and false gospels to follow after. False messiahs to put your hope in and believe in. In these times. It will be sobering times. And he also says that there will be this sense among believers that he's coming soon. That longing I talked about. But there will be massive groups of people, he says, just like in the days of Noah. That they're so worldly minded, they will not see it. They won't, they won't connect the dots of Noah's ark. Why are you building that massive thing? What are you believing in? And so they just keep on. Uh, they're, they're, the ladies are looking at uh, venues. They're shopping for wedding dresses. The guys are saving up for engagement rings. Things that we do on an everyday basis, thinking about how I can establish myself in this world and the world to come the f- will flood in because it's judgment day. There is a time when it's no longer the emphasis to think about establishing ourselves here. Always have to think about our citizenship in heaven. And what a sad day and what a sad picture that is. Despite all the signs that can be so obvious to some, others will be completely clueless and ignorant of it. And so Jesus is constantly saying, look at what's happening. Stick close to the gospel. Stick close to the people of God so that you know what God is doing. Stick close to the word of God and it will be unmistakable to you. So the end times are terrible and they're unusual, but not to everybody. So he says in verse 42, stay awake because you do not know. He doesn't want his people to be anxious. 
and to freeze. He wants them to be aware. If you're anxious and fearful about the second coming of Christ, I have some great news. I have created, you don't know this about me, but I am really technologically savvy. And I've created an app. And it's very similar to Google Maps. And it's, I call it the Jesus is What's Up app. And on this app, you can track the second coming of Christ. And it's a little blue dot. And you can see when he's getting closer to his destination. You can see when he hits traffic and it's all red and his destination will be delayed. You can see when he has to take alternate routes based on what's going on down here on earth. And I'm going to make it available to you after this sermon for a price. I'm going to be a very rich person because with my What's Up Jesus app, you will know exactly. Okay, that's all just. Wouldn't be surprised if somebody came up with one, though. We don't know the day or the hour, so you just be ready. You be ready today, Hebrews tells us, right? Today's the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. Today's the salvation. And if he doesn't come tomorrow, then you just keep digging in. That's what the parables. Jesus is going to take this teaching and then he's going to turn it into story form in chapter 25. And we'll look at what what it looks like to wait. Or how, how do you wait for the second coming? So we want to look at um, something in this teaching, I think, that pertaining to the end times, it's very important to us. And that is, you have all the mysterious signs, but then you have something else in there that I think is closer to home, and that's the preaching of the gospel. So I'm going to reach back into verse 14 and pull that back out and talk about that. What do we do with this deep teaching? Well, the preaching of the gospel is a huge part of God's plan in the end times. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So you have the mystery, but then you have this very practical happening. The things that we're we're used to trying to understand and live out every day. And that is proclaiming the gospel and In God's plan, it is of the utmost importance. Now, we can't control the moons and the earthquakes, but we actually participate in this part of God's end times plan. It's God's passion. How important is evangelism? How important are missions to God's plan? They are God's plan. That's God's plan on the earth. That his name would be made great. That all people from every nation would worship him and honor him in a way that he deserves. And delight in him. That's God's passion. That is what's going to take place for all the nations. We, we pick this passion up in the very first book of the Bible. Where God promises to bless the nations. Every nation through Abraham's seed. And then we see it in... And throughout the Gospels and in the book of Revelation, when people from every tribe and every tongue, God wants to be worshipped by all peoples. And that's going to happen, he says. And the way it's going to happen is that the gospel is going to go forth. 
that we need to be passionate about God's plan. And we can have our plans they are going to fall flat. God's plan is the one that will come to pass. Psalm 67, 4, the nations, his plan is that the nations sing for joy and be glad in him. If you're wondering what God's thinking about, what does he want to see? That's it. It's a huge part of it. John Piper says God is passionately committed to his fame. God's ultimate goal is that his name be known and praised and enjoyed by all the peoples of the earth. If we start to lose sight of this, then we become very ineffective in the kingdom of God. We're not, and we become passionate about the wrong things. The things that don't bring God's plan about. But He longs to see people adore Him. All kinds of people. All types of people to adore Him. He wants to hear the praises in every language, to be loved, to be worshipped, to be sung to. God is passionate about his name going out. Are we passionate as God's people that his name go out, that he may be made much of not just at New Covenant Fellowship, but in the next place over, the next place in the next country, the next people group or Not just going out, but those people that God brings right to our door. It is a passion of God and it ties in with the end times. And then God says it will be. Notice the will be that the kingdom will be proclaimed. This is going to happen. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It will be proclaimed there. And uh, throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. This is written. And we get to be a part of this. The proclamation of the gospel. And we're not there yet. But one of the final words just to show you how all this fits together. In Matthew 28. What does Jesus say to his disciples? What are the final words from the coach or from the general? Before you go out. What is it? All power and authority have been given to me. And here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm sending you out to make disciples. You start here, then you go there, then you go there, you go farther, you go to the end of the earth. It's God's passion, it's God's plan, and it will come to pass. Will it come to pass even if I don't participate in it? Even if I refuse to care about those that don't know Christ? It will come to pass. He will pass over me as a participant And bless somebody else with that passion, with that willingness to share the gospel. But God will bring it to pass because it is his passion. And since it will be done, now think about it. Since it will be done, it can be done. Since it will be done, it can be done. Do we think about proclaiming the gospel and evangelism in those terms? If God says it's it's going to be done, then... It can be done. Let's do this thing. I know that we we participate. I know that we are active in missions and evangelism, but we can always, always do better. And we're stronger as a church in some areas than others. And this is God's passion. This is God's rally. It can be done. Uh, It's being done. There are missionaries all over the world. 
And the, the technique is, uh, the emphasis now is when you go into a people group and you um, evangelize and you discipleship, if you get a convert, then they are able to reach their own people. You don't have to send this nation to, you know, a thousand people from this nation to convert a thousand people. You get people in their own tongue that can relate to their own culture and their own people. And then they become disciples and then they share the gospel and it spreads like that mustard seed that Jesus has been talking to us about. It is possible. It will happen. And it is happening. And we either are a part of it or we're not. And if we are, we are very blessed to see God's passion come about because you know how pleased he is. It also means that the rooted and the uprooted need to work together or the, the, the established, those Christians that haven't been called to the mission field and those Christians that have been called to the mission field need to work together. It's a team. Some people call it uh, the, the Paul approach versus the Timothy. Timothy was set in, in a local place to establish the saints there. Paul said, I just want to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. I just want to keep going and keep bringing it to people so they can hear it for the first time. And you need both the established places. This is an established place. This is a place where people come. Disciples are made. You're being taught from from young ages. A lot of you have been raised in this church. This is the only church you've ever even known. And you have been faithfully taught the Bible from front to back and and uh, discipleship and this church also is a sending church where we support local missions. We support foreign missions. And we're very blessed by God's sovereign decision um, to kind of vicariously be on the cutting edge of missions through Restoration Farm. Because they have and we have a couple here fresh off the mission field. Among us that now is going to establish to help uh, to help equip, to help send to keep people out on the mission field. So we're very privileged and honored to have that. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but um, some of the decisions that are made across the road. Regarding. The gospel is where do we take the gospel next? When we think about proclaiming the gospel and it's God's heart to to spread it throughout the world. That means somebody has to sit down and think, where do we who do we witness to next? Where do we go next? We don't have enough manpower to send everybody out at one time. Just like when the Apostle Paul was headed in one direction and the spirit redirected him, that whole continent was set up in Christianity and the other wasn't because of that decision. Very important decisions are being made by people in this church regarding Okay, based on our manpower, Holy Spirit, speak to us, guide us. Where do we emphasize? Where do we take the good news to what people group? Because that means others don't hear it at this time. These are hard decisions to make and they're being made. And we are a part of that. So God wants to bring us this this word to open our eyes to his passion for evangelism, his passion for missions. It can be done and it is being done and it's advancing the kingdom. But warning that it comes at a great price, right? Throughout Scripture, it says, yes, it will be advanced, but it will come through the blood of the saints. 
It will come through the cost of suffering. They will deliver you up to tribulation. Verse 9. Put you to death. You will be hated. Some of you will be hated. The message will not be welcomed as wonderful as it is. And it has been said that the blood of the saints is the foundation of the church. Where the blood of the saints is spilled, the church grows. It's part of it. Martyrdom is part of it. And then lastly, what do we find as a people? So we're informed that we have this longing for the second coming. Signs will go out, we'll know, but we don't know what day, so we have to be prepared. So what does God expect of us as we wait? I love what he says here. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at their proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. In other words... So do, do we get hypersensitive? Do we burn ourselves out? Uh, do, do we wring our hands over the Lord might be coming and we haven't reached every... What, how do we, what do we do with this heavy information about the end times and the gospel? You serve Him faithfully. Every day it's that daily grind. All the stuff that you hear on a, the mundane stuff you hear on a daily basis. Having your devotion, studying your Bible, reaching out to your neighbors... Fellowshipping with the saints, having those times of prayer, all the things that we find in the New Testament. Gathering, praising, worshiping, laboring for retreats, doing what we can to reach, laboring in the classrooms for our little ones, laboring up here for our older ones. All of the things that's what Jesus wants to find us doing. Not giving up on those things because he hasn't come back. Not giving up on those things because we don't see the results. He just wants faithful servants. People that will obey his word because it's the right thing to do. And they want to honor him. And a lot of uh, in our culture and Christianity, it's become the church of the results. If we don't get the results, it has to be big fanfare. If we don't get it, we don't do it anymore. And a lot of things are being dropped. Basic things that are necessary to build solid foundation for Christianity. So I close with this. Keep on serving the Lord. What gift has God given you? What talent has God given you? In what way is he calling you to serve the body of Christ? Your family as a as a head of a household. Whatever it is, keep doing it. Don't give up. Be wise in that you're aware of what's going on. You're not falling for false teaching and be faithful in that the daily drip of grace is coming through you in your faithful service to make God's name great. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.